from Elvis Costello. Listen to the radio. Turn it up. Often, my life depends on it. <laughs> hey, welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Mad, And I'm George Wolf, and we are from madwolf.com. And this week, hey, hey, it's all about the DJs, everybody. <laughs> For those of you interested in the industry, that's called puking. That's right. And we try, we try hard not to do it. <laughs> um, actually, we, we got to listen to the Hope's very favorite part of that song. Just one second. It's always this part. She loves it. I was seriously thinking about hiding the receiver when the switch broke because it's old. <laughs> it's a great line. The switch broke because it's old. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't guessed, it is all about the DJs. Horror for the DJs this week. And this was the song I wanted to use. Last night a DJ saved my life. Last night a DJ saved my life from a broken heart. Of course, they're talking about club DJs. You shut up. <laughs> we save lives. We're heroes. For those of you who don't know, the reason we're doing this is that, in fact, George's day job, he is a radio DJ. Yeah. And so I sort of over the years collected horror movies that you know re- revolve around the DJ because yeah. I find it super creepy. If you're in the Columbus area, I'm on uh, Rewind 103.5, um, which is uh, WNND. And uh, if you're outside the Columbus area, you can listen online. We stream at rewindcolumbus.com. There's three other uh, uh, stations in the building here that I do things on all four. But uh, every day, 10 to 3, it's playing the hits, playing the uh, 80s, 90s, and a little bit of uh, <laughs> into the 70s. And little Duran Duran, that's little all Duran I care Duran. about. Yeah, she was so glad when I got out of country radio. Yes, I can play. I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you how happy I was. <laughs> um, into, uh, into the Duran Duran era. It's a lot of fun. So, yeah, um, you, we've been talking about this for a while going into the DJ horror shows, and uh, there's more than you might think. And you know what? Actually, it brings me to last week. I want to thank Dave Mann again for helping us last week. Another do, Columbus yeah, DJ. That's right. Yeah. He's a Columbus DJ. That's how that's how we know him, and he was on last week. He's our senior undead correspondent. I want to thank him for helping us count down the best zombie movies. Yeah, that got a great response, as you might guess, because zombies is such a such a, a genre that people really dig into. Yeah. It. But we, we found another couple who had some uh, difference of opinion on, on at least a couple of those. Well, the week before, the week before for zombies, we did not quite zombies, and that was the right. one. So, so longtime Fright Club fans and listeners, uh, Charlie and Megan, right? Charlie took issue with the fact that we put the thing, the thing at number two, and we put Twenty Eight Days Later at number one. And but then Megan's favorite movie of all time, it turns out, is Twenty Eight Days Later. So she sided with us. So it was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that's great. We love that uh, little difference of opinion, as long as it doesn't get nasty. Um, <laughs> because a lot of those movies have such real core following and, and really strong feelings. Oh, uh, yeah. So well, those two movies in particular, oh, I mean, yeah. The Thing and 28 Days Later are such magnificent movies. They really are. But it's funny, that's the second time that I've put 28 Days Later at the top of a list and there was some backlash. <laughs> but, uh, you know, The Thing... It's hard to go wrong with the thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and it that absolutely one, is. That, it's brilliant. Yeah, and those two at the top, you're kind of you're kind of yeah. splitting hairs. Yeah, it's true. Uh, they're so good. So yeah, thank you for that. For for two weeks ago, not quite zombies, and then Dave Man last week with the full on zombies, a lot of fun. And that takes us right into I don't know how, how what kind of a segue zombies and DJs are, but uh, <laughs> we're going to get into our favorite DJ horror stories, and uh, we start out at number five. This one was one that just 
came out of nowhere because it's from this year. It is from this year, yeah. Um, so we're not going to you know talk too much about the plot because it just came out. But we had a lot of fun watching it, and it's called A Christmas Horror Story. Christmas. Most magical time of year. This is Krampus, right? What's a Krampus? He's like an anti Santa Claus, a demon who punishes the naughty. That's fine. It's the elves. I fear they may all become infected. The atmosphere here in Bailey Downs is truly grim this holiday season. So right away, the first thing is the DJ in question here is William Shatner. Playing Dangerous Dan. Dangerous Dan. Nice. <laughs> oh, my God. And he's so adorable in he this is. movie. He's adorable. Yeah. So he is kind of locked in almost by himself in his in his booth when some bad things start happening in town. And the town, the fictional town, is Bailey Downs. And which, why is that important? That is important because it's the same town as Ginger Snaps. That's right. So this is a Canadian horror film, and uh, there are three directors, all three of whom have worked on the the Ginger Snaps series. Two of them directed uh, two and three, and one was a writer across the board. So uh, the the movie actually has nothing to do with Ginger Snaps, except that this you know team did, and that's a it's really a very pivotal. Uh, horror series in Canadian history. So, yeah. anyway, a couple of nods there. Yeah, so they use the same town, but uh, it's it's different parts held together by by one thread, which uh, we're not going to give away. But there's different things going on, um, horrific things going on in the town that ends up in. I guess you'd call a, a situation at the town mall. Yeah, well, basically, it's a series of shorts. It's yeah. a series of horror but shorts, they're but they're, they are connected, and they're and they're it's pretty cleverly written. And then, sort of the you know the the home base for the viewer, the touchstone for the viewer, is Shatner as the DJ. So he's a small town DJ, and he's pulling a double shift on Christmas Eve. You know, and he's drinking and talking into the mic and saying funny We've things. We've all done it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he's hilarious. Yeah, he is great, and he, you know, he, he puts more dire warnings out th- to the town as it goes along to stay away from the mall. And you have one of the one of the shorts involves, coincidentally enough, Krampus. Yeah, uh, which is so that's a coincidence because uh, there there's another Krampus film out this year. It's actually in theaters right now. Ju- yeah, just came and, out. Uh, Michael Darty, who's from Columbus originally, uh, and he made the brilliant Trick or Treat. And it's funny. This film reminds me of Trick or Treat because that's also a series of interconnected shorts. Right. Right. Um, uh, and uh, so it's just interesting that there are two Krampus films out at the same time. Yeah, and we we have to say you know we love our hometown hometown guy, but that we preferred. This one, I did I to, got, yeah, to the I new it, Krampus, yeah. Um, so, so Krampus is involved. Santa is involved. Santa goes ninja. There's a troll. Santa starts. Santa starts busting some heads. There's some. There's some zombie elves. There's some zombie elves. Um, there's a sort of a modern day nativity thing yeah, going on. That one I think is the weakest. It might be the weakest, but you know, all of them are good. Yeah, I liked all but, of them. Uh, but as you say, because you asked me, you saw it first, and then and I watched it, and then after um, I was done, you asked me if I saw it coming, the clever little yeah. twist, and I did not. I didn't either. Um, so may- maybe you will if, if, if you check it out, but it just it came out. It streams on Amazon. You can watch it oh, right okay. now. Yeah, all it right, streams yeah. on Amazon. But it's a lot of fun, but one of the things, one of the things, if we're going to nitpick about DJs, and I know... These movies that we're going to talk about, they're not about DJs. So even though I laugh sometimes when the details are not correct, you're not going to 
uh, knock it down that much because that they're not concerned with that. It's not a documentary about DJs because who's going to watch that? But uh, one of the things I laughed in, in so many of, of DJs in movies, they're not anywhere near the microphone <laughs> when they're talking, but yet the audio stays completely the same level. I, I mean, and I understand you want to get the actor's face on, but uh, Shatner is so far away from the mic, all you know, hither and yawn <laughs> around the studio, drinking his drinks and everything, and it, it, no way. Uh, plus, he doesn't wear headphones, which uh, used to bug me. Now it's less of a thing. You see, there's so many more... Uh, radio shows, especially talk radio shows that are filmed and that are put on some channel or whatever, even, if, even if it's online. So you see a lot of them either wear tiny little headphones that you can't see because you don't want to see a guy, you know, with these great big headphones like on. Like I'm looking at right now. That's right. That's right. Jealous. And um, <laughs> uh, so that's a little bit. But yeah, the, the thing about being far away from the microphone always cracks me up. But that then leads me into other movies that aren't on this list. Yeah, that, the thing is, you might be surprised by how many horror films there are that is in one way or another focused on a DJ. And and I think we'll, I think, you know, we'll explain sort of why that is uh, as this list goes on. But but you might be shocked by how many movies are not going to make this list. I'm sure there's one that you're thinking of and you're like, well, obviously that's going to have to make it because it's probably the only there may be two that you're thinking of the top of your head. But anyway, it didn't. It didn't because we really Lords of Salem. We really don't like it. No. And we've talked about that before. Uh, and it's not just how ridiculous the, the DJ parts are, no. but they are pretty ridiculous. Oh, uh, number one, Boston, which is a very large radio and media market, it turns out their number one rate, rated radio show is from Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah, that's... No. No. That'd be like if the number one radio station in Columbus was actually out of, you know, Lancaster. Yeah, Delaware or somewhere. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's not going to happen. Plus, they have pretty much uh, their morning show is at night. Right. Um, they... They play what they play stuff somebody mails to yeah, them. So they there's play no just playlist. Whatever they want to, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. as far as but but again, he's not he's not caring about that. No, um, no, which, no. He wants it to be in Salem for obvious reasons, yeah. and they need to play this album that somebody mails to them for obvious reasons. And yeah. yeah, that's not the point. It's just utter lunacy. Yeah, it's just one of the things that I just had to laugh about because there's so many things about that movie that I. I just don't. I don't like anything about it, and it has its fans. It keeps oh, it coming up. Does. It really does. Which okay, but I, I I just don't understand it. It's not scary. It's not interesting. It's silly, um, in, not just in the radio ways. But so that one didn't uh, didn't make it on the Here's list. Here's one that almost made it. I got to tell you, it okay. almost made it, even though it's terrible. It's considerably worse than Lord's Assembly. It's one of those movies that's just god awful, and you can't pretend it isn't. <laughs> and it's called The Severed Arm. And oh my god, I love it so much. It's I love it so much. There's part. There's this one character who gets out of the shower and he's like the lead and he's wearing he's wearing like a it's like a terry cloth skirt robe with a pocket in the back <laughs> and then just just then we're supposed to take him seriously he's scottish anyway he's not though so it's a spelunking accident gone wrong and they they wind up cutting a man's arm off they're gonna eat it and then they get saved and i'm not it's not a spoiler because that's actually the first reel of the film the rest of the film is what happens when somebody receives a package in the mail and it's shaped like an arm and one of the guys that survives is a radio dj and so wow. there's a long scene where, and he's at night they're often nighttime djs anyway and he's by himself in the booth and he's being terrorized and but uh, it's a ridiculous film that you should really you should just watch if you're in the mood for a really good bad movie well you had me at spelunking um <laughs> And you had a couple others on here, uh, rip, uh, Dead Air and Bad Channels. So Bad Channels is like an alien invasion movie, and it's just boring and really not worth watching. But it's funny about Dead Air. Um, Corbin Bernson directed it. 
Wow. Of L.A. Law fame. Corbin Burnson directed it. Right. Major and, League fame. That's right. And um, and it's just a Pontypool ripoff, basically. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that movie uh, later. But uh, but one of the other things that's interesting about it is that it stars Bill Mosley, who is also on this list. So yeah. it's like it combines two good movies into one <laughs> bad movie. And what I think, one of the things I think is most funny about it, aside from the fact that it just rips off other movies and is in that way very dull, is that it's called Dead Air, and the, it's a shock jock de- DJ, and he's got to stay on the air. You've got to keep me on the air. i got to call my wife. The whole movie he's is nothing but dead air. He's constantly <laughs> not actually broadcasting anything, but shouting how he has to keep broadcasting, but not actually broadcasting. It well, makes me a little crazy. See, that's why it's an actual DJ horror film, because that is the DJ dream. <laughs> that's the nightmare? I, I've had many times. You, you think, you know, you can't get the song. Why won't it play? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Happens, happens quite frequently. Sorry. Right, so those ones that didn't make the list, but uh, we've got some good ones that did. We've already covered number five, the brand new A Christmas Horror Story. And moving up to a classic uh, from 1980 at number four, it's The Fog. This is KB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Oh, Jesus. Stay away from the door! Someone listen to me! There's something in the fog. (coughs) The fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. All right, well, the DJ here is Adrian Barbeau. That's right. The tiny little Adrian Barbeau, who we, we actually Stevie s- Wayne. We saw at a uh, convention a few years ago, and we were just shocked by how little she, she is. Yeah, she's, you know, it, it, so one of the small. reasons is that she usually plays a badass. Not yeah. in this particular movie, but usually she plays a badass, yeah. and so you don't expect her to be like a Lilliputian when yeah. you actually meet tiny, her. Tiny, tiny person. But uh, yeah, she's Stevie Wayne, and actually she uh, modeled herself, her, her DJ style, after a DJ, a famous DJ from the 60s named Allison Steele. So Do you know who she, that is? I really don't know, but that, uh, that's who she kind of patterned her, her style after. And it's funny because she hardly acts with anyone else. She's just in the room by herself yeah. warning people about the fog. Yeah, yeah, the Antonio Bay fog. And, and uh, I really like, I like uh, about this film her. I like wh- the way Carp- it's John Carpenter's uh, follow-up to Halloween. And uh, I like the way he sets her up. She's in a lighthouse. She's broadcasting from a lighthouse, which right. is creepy. She's alone. And yet, one of the things, the, the the movies that do this well, they exploit two things about the DJ. One is that they are alone. And two is that they are very public. They're very exposed. So anything that happens to them, you can hear, but you can't get to. It's creepy. It's a creepy idea. Yeah. And I think that they do it really well here. And in particular, toward the end, when she realizes that the fog really is a menace she starts to worry about her kid, right? She's a single parent, and then she's just sort of begging people, can you hear me? Yeah. Please go get my son. And it's, it's I think, very effective. Yeah. And this was her, I believe, this was her movie debut, was it not? I don't know. I think it was. She'd been on TV. Maud. She was Maude, on Maud. Yeah, but I think this was... of course, was, she was married to Carpenter. I don't know right. if she was married to him during this film. I think so. Mm. But I believe this was her movie debut. Um, not 100% sure, but I thought so. But yeah, um, she starts warning people about the fog, uh, that it is a menace. And also they mention in the movie, the town where they're in is... Antonio Bay. Antonio Bay. But they mention the neighboring Bodega Bay, oh. which is the town from the birds. Yes. Yes, it uh, is. Which, which I thought was pretty funny. It is funny because it's not like Tippi Hedren is in this, but Janet Lee is right. in this, yeah. as, a, as well as her daughter, of course, Jenner, uh, um, Jamie, Jan- Lee Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. 
Who and uh, and then you know the great horror B movie star Tom Atkins, of oh, course, yeah. who has let's be honest, no shot at Jamie Lee Curtis, and yet they're a couple. Of <laughs> course they, they are. are. That it's might the old... be the, what he does best in all of his bad movies is end up dating a woman who he has absolutely no chance of dating. And you know what, Kevin James is thankful for it <laughs> because that continues to to this day. Um, also, Hal Holbrook. Yeah, I'd oh yeah, that Father was, I mean, Malone. You know, yeah, they've got some. They really do. They have a very strong cast in it, and. I mean, there's a lot that's going on. Of course, it's 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 got that great John Carpenter look about it. And of course, it's, it sounds great. It's just that uh, a lot of the acting is pretty. Sub- Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I can't get past Leopard Pirates. Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't. I know. I can't. I can't get past it. Me. Uh, as, that, that's what's in the fog. As Leopard well. Pirates. They I can't have, do it. Leopard Pirates, and they have this score to settle, and because it does has have some things going for it that you think could have turned out better. I mean, it sets up every character. It's very clearly marked. Which characters are natives? Yeah. They, they're clear to tell you, oh, I hitchhiked from out of town. Yep, yep, yep. I came in. So that, there's your markers right mm-hmm. there. Who's a native? Who may have to pay for the sins of their previous you know, uh, ancestors or whatever? So, yeah, that's all set up very well. And uh, you talk about the creepy elements, but when it gets down to leper pirates, it's, it's almost like the disappointment um, I felt from finding out that it was, spoiler alert, a spider. I know. What? Yeah. It really kind of spoiled it for me. But still, worth being number four oh, yeah, absolutely. on our list. And, and, and one of the things I think it does the best is the whole DJ angle I liked. Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's a good point. Um, they're alone, but yet they're public. Yeah, uh, which, exposed. Yeah, which has some creepiness to it, especially in a lighthouse, because something's creepy about lighthouses. It's totally true, they yeah. Really are. yeah. Uh, so the fog is rolling in. That's from 1980. That is number four. And moving up to one we've talked about a lot without talking about it, because right. I don't think we've ever put it on a list. We have not. Uh, we, but we always sort of apologize for not doing so. But here it is from 2008. Here it is, Neil McRobert. Pontypool. Hail Mary, yea, low I walk, we go to Ken Loney in the Sunshine Chopper. Oh, God, they're pulling two people out of a van. Who are those? There's a bunch of them. They're, they're, they're people, but, but they're crazy. They're, they're, they're fighting them. People are getting killed out there. Oh. Ken, are you there, Ken? Best Canadian horror not too long ago, and uh, Knack Mac, who was our senior Stephen King correspondent, um, Neil McRobert, he complained that Pontypool was not on the list. And I admitted at the time, I, I, I don't love this movie, but I did revisit it. And, um, you know, particularly, it's clearly it's got to be on the list of DJs since that's the entire uh, reason behind it. And at least he wears headphones. He does wear Thank headphones. Thank you very much. He does wear, he's, a, he's a shock jock, right? Um, Stephen McCaddy, who we talked about before, is the guy in uh, History of Violence. Who uh, yeah. Vigo hits upside the head with uh, with the coffee pot? He's had a long history. That's oh, absolutely, long history of movies. But anyway, he's the lead. He's the lead. He's a shock jock who's been uh, kicked out of uh, a larger market, and he has to move to Pontypool, Ontario, where he can be shocking in between like weather broadcasts in a small town, <laughs> right? And they, uh, I think that they broadcast out of a church. Um, something else creepy, right? And you know, and he's got a full a full group of producers and sidekicks and. And uh, and then what they find is that people call in and something's going wrong in the town. And uh, and then as it as it progresses, it's basically people have gone insane. The town has gone insane and they're killing each other. And it's really fascinating, though. It's a zombie film without being a zombie film. So it could have been on that list as well. And um, little by little, what they realize is what is causing these people to lose their minds is actually the broadcast. It's the human language. And I think what the film does 
when the film is at its best is as a metaphor, right, for the way media poisons listeners mm-hmm. and really turns them violent. And actually, I mean, I can't agree more with the fact that that happens. Yeah. And, and, al- and also, there's a part of that that when, maybe when it's not intentional, but when the public doesn't understand uh, because that comes into play in this movie too, that language and and how it's perceived, right. and maybe maybe when certain messages are used where they don't come out and say exactly what their message is with code words and dog whistle messages and things like that, when they're picked up in a in a different way by by the public, that is all part of the same either misunderstanding or misusing language right. and how you may perceive it to mean what it doesn't or what it shouldn't, things like that. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, that you have more power than you realize with your listeners and that you may think that you're just sort of lightheartedly promoting violence, but you may actually be promoting violence. And this this is a very hardcore concept of that, of that coming to fruition. And it's actually, it, it works really well as a horror movie beyond just being a great metaphor because, you know, you listen to these people who are sort of, Johnny on the spot, they're almost like field correspondents, and they're on the phone, and, you know, inside this, most of the movie takes place inside the studio, Mm -hmm. and they're listening as you're listening, while people are phoning in, and and then you get to hear what happens to them. It's it's very effective, it's very creepy, and then the way they work it out, and they figure out what's going on, and they try to address it, and make some changes, it's also pretty pretty cool, and it's a very weird movie. Yeah, and actually, unfortunately, that message just continues to be more and more timely especially here in the last few weeks with current events but you probably wouldn't be surprised to know this was also performed as a radio play yes and and also apparently a couple at least one or two sequels are planned or at least in the works when this one was made interesting very interesting to see if that actually if that actually happens but uh and also there is if if you watch the movie be sure to hang till the end because there is a scene after the credits, which um, not going to say um, ties up any loose ends, but it has opened to a lot of interpretation, which could be the point. Yeah, it could be the point. But yeah, you're going to watch it and go, what in the hell? <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily in a bad way, but not necessarily in a good way. You're yeah. just going to go, I, what? But uh, there, you can take it a lot of different ways. And, and again, because of the themes of uh, understanding language and perception that may exactly be the point. So Pontypool finally making it on the list yep. uh, from 2008. That is number three in our DJ horror uh, coming up to number two from 1986. I think this one has made at least one of our lists yeah, in the so. past and it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, The Buzz is Back, directed by Toby Hooper. I love this movie. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> and I, I like the DJ angle that they use, actually, as well. Uh, so it's, what is like, 12 years later, 12 years after the incidents in uh, rural Texas, and Texas Marshall, played by uh, the great Dennis Hopper, is tracking him down, right? Tracking down the Sawyer family, which is interesting because it's the first time that they have a surname, this family. Mm. And a radio DJ, a late night radio DJ in rural Texas, she gets a recording of of an attack and she keeps playing it. She keeps playing it on air and everybody has to hear it. 
and um, it's it's why she does it and how she, it's interesting. It's it's interesting the way it comes about and the way they actually talk through. Is she going to do it? Is she not going to do it? What are the repercussions if she does this? It's it's really well laid out. It's very tense and also. It's hard to listen to, yeah. which is the point. If it weren't hard to listen to, then, it, I mean, the movie really generates an enormous amount of anxiety before they drop you underground at this creepy festival, and we get, <laughs> you know, in case you didn't know what Leatherface stood for, um, they show you while he takes a human face in sort of a weird wooing ritual to wear on his own. Oh, my God, it's Yikes. awesome. And also Bill Mosley, who who showed up in, uh, in well, we talked about him yeah. briefly about another movie. He's, um, this is the first, uh, this is the only, I think, Texas Chainsaw Massacre film that he appears in, and he's uh, uh, Chop Top, and he's creepy. And this is one that actually had to cut about at least five minutes or so to not get an X rating. It yeah, was going does, to get an X rating. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. It's, it's um, I'm not going to say it's, it's gratuitous, you know, but the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, really not. You know, there's the uh, there's the one scene with the meat hook. But other than that, yeah. it's mostly your imagination. Mm-hmm. And this one is, it, it's still, uh, it's not gratuitous. It's not, I don't think. Um, but it, it it's much more graphic and in your face than the original. But in a great Toby Hooper again directed it, so um, uh, he came back. It's not like the others where somebody else came in and sort of you know made it more exploitative or made it a little uh, different. I mean, it's it's got the same vibe as the original, but it's hard to watch. It's grim. But I think Toby Toby Hooper uh, through the over the years was quoted as saying he he likes this one because it doesn't take itself too seriously. He thinks. Um, it's a very dark sense of humor, it though. Is, but like still. very dark, and a lot of that is chopped up. Uh, Bill Mosley, yeah. he's the funny one. L. Jim Cito returns as the cook, mm-hmm. which is I love him. Uh, and I also like the little uh, nods, the DJ nods in, in the studio. One of the uh, posters they've got hanging up is the <clears throat> Butcher Block, famous cover from the Beatles album. Ah. You know, goes right along with it. And also, there's a, there's a poster up for the Fine Young Cannibals. Nice. Yeah. So you, you know, nice. I love that stuff. Well, here's a t- thing too. Carolyn Williams plays Stretch. She's the DJ. She's great. Yeah. You know, beginning to end, she's absolutely great in this movie. And and I think that in the first film, you know, I mean, uh, you just don't see really. Good, strong female characters, especially in the, you know, 70s and 80s horror movies. And you do in this one. It's just it's just sort of she's just well drawn out and, and very well performed and an interesting and this the central character, really. Yeah. And actually, one of the most famous, I think one of the ways uh, this movie got notoriety without even being seen was. The poster. Remember how the poster was set up just like the Breakfast Club? Yes. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> they were posed just like it. And uh, you talk about not taking yourself too seriously. That was like, because the Breakfast Club came out almost at exact, almost the same time. This yeah. followed it up. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was pretty funny. I also think that uh, over the years, Dennis Hopper uh, didn't, he expressed no love for this movie whatsoever in his, in his career. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it was a, a very fun um, filming experience for anybody, and and I also think you know he was kind of a weird dude. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I and and nobody saw it. It didn't make any money, and it didn't really get the same kind of critical acclaim that the original got. Although the original people didn't like when it came out right, either. Right. Um. And you know I think that he just maybe thought of it as one because he Tennis Hopper made a lot of bad movies. He did. And he just saw this. I think is one of those. But I I don't think that that's accurate. I mean it's no Blue Velvet, but it's it's a good movie. Yeah. And you're right, the strong DJ character. Yeah. Uh, thumb, thumbs up for that one. And that's why it's number she two. She won a couple of awards. She won a couple of, uh, of like, you know, horror film circle awards really? for that performance. Yeah. All right. So number two is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from 86. And you probably guessed uh, number one on this list. Because if you're thinking of movies, DJ horror movies, you got to think of 1971's 
Play Misty for me. This is Dave Garver with a little verse, a little talk, and five hours of music to be very, very nice to each other by. Play Misty for me. The most terrifying words you'll ever hear. Play Misty for me. The screen's most frightening plunge into terror. Just hope we're lucky enough to grab her the next time she tries it. Tries what? To kill you. The next scream you hear will be your own. Such a weird trailer because, number one, you've got the menacing, commanding voice of Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, you've got this happy jazz music. Like, (laughs) this is a horror movie. What's going on? But uh, it's, you know, it was 1971. So that's the kind of trailer. So it's Clint Eastwood. He's the star. It's the first movie he directed. Yep. And it really put him on on the map because you can look over his career and you can really tell, okay, sometimes no. Other times he's a very solid director. And this was one that put him on the map as saying, hey, this, this guy can maybe be a director um, about this this DJ who is stalked by a crazy fan. I'm going to tell a story now. <laughs> Back many years ago, many years ago, George was on the air one time and he said that we were going to go skiing like the next day, right? At uh, just a little place in Mansfield where you can ski. And um, we were there. I don't ski. So I was probably in the bar drinking while he was skiing. And I heard him paged. George Wolf got paged. And so he came in thinking I was paging him. And I came to the lobby thinking, who in the hell is paging him? Well, that's the thing. It was somebody who heard him say he was coming, some young lady. And she followed us to Mansfield. But she didn't stab me. No. Which is good. And I didn't Uh, stab her. (laughs) Also good. So, uh, yeah, he is a a DJ in the movie. He's a DJ from, coincidentally, Carmel, California, which is the city where he became mayor uh, years and years later. And uh, he's he's a jazz a jazz type DJ. Now, Quiet no, storm. Yeah, because Clint Eastwood legendarily loves jazz, but also it was a lot. Jazz music is a lot easier to get the. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to get the rights to to well, play. Well, he's than got your it all hits. over. I mean, he, oh, you he know, does, and yeah. I know that he went to a lot of uh, jazz festivals, yeah. and you know, just sort of you know went backstage because he's Clint Eastwood and said, right. "Hey, I'd love to use yours." I mean, th- this movie is just chock full of jazz songs. Yeah, but what's funny to me is the DJ that is on right before him is all hip. He said, "Hey, groovy guys and groovy gals," kind of type of <laughs> DJ patter, and then Clint comes on right after the quiet the storm. Quiet storm. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's pretty funny, but. Uh, Again, that, those DJ details are not the main thing here. It's a it's an early fatal attraction type thing. Very much. You can see this. You can see this movie. Um, it, you know, it, it. A lot of films after it really took some cues from this, and especially fatal attraction. Yeah, but the big difference. One of the big differences, if you're going to talk about, you know, misogyny and how women are treated. This one was written by a woman. This this film was when, we, of course. Fatal Attraction was not. No. Well, it's 1971. And, and I think if you take it, you know, at the time when it comes out, I, I think that it's pretty light. I mean, yeah, you know, Clint Eastwood punches her in the face. Right. But, but you know what? If, if a woman is coming at you with a knife, punch her in the face. Right? I mean, as a woman, I'm telling you. I have your permission yes. to do that? Yes, okay. you do. Thank you very much. Um, but actually, I think that, you know, his his character is very sympathetic toward, and it's Jessica Waltz. Jessica Walter. It's mm-hmm. Jessica Walter, mm-hmm. who's a bad mom. No, yeah. I'm sorry. From Arrested Development, she's so great. Oh, she's great. She's, but she's brilliant in this movie. She's so creepy. Right. And I think that um, he shows um, certainly some irritation, but I, I think he shows some sensitivity, you know, some empathy toward her the whole time. I mean, it's not... You yeah, know, because they have a fling. And it's not the fistful of dollars Clint Eastwood. Oh, no, you know, no, I no, mean, no. F- Given where he was in his career, it's a very, I think... 
somewhat sensitive, you know, much more tender performance than you were going to see in anything he did before this. Yeah, because uh, they have a fling, uh, but he wants to go back to... um Oh, Donna Mills. Donna Mills. Donna with the shag. Mills. What a haircut. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, my sister tells me that after that movie came out, everybody got their haircut like that. That it was like a big, she was like the first one with the shag, and then everybody got one after. And I'm just watching it going, gross. Yeah, but. baby, the shag. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then uh, Jessica Walter does not take kindly to that and uh, becomes that obsessive, creepy fan. And it's funny because there's a, a longtime actor uh, named Gene Shepard. Uh, who passed away, but he was big in the in the 60s and even into the 70s, who started out as a DJ, and he claimed, I don't know if how much truth to it, he claimed when this movie came out that it was based on him, because <laughs> when he was a DJ, he was actually stabbed by a crazy fan. Wow. So, yeah, so uh, I don't know how much truth that, to that. It's just a cautionary tale. <laughs> it is. Don't bone your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. But um, <laughs> but you know what? It it's It's paced well. It's uh, tense. It's very. And, and, and very. scary. And, you know, he does a great job as a director with this film. I mean, he really he really sort of holds you in his palm of his hand the entire yeah. movie through. And even though it does really scream of 1971 at this point. It does. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's still, it's very effective. It is. I mean, watching it today, especially you can tell from that trailer, there's some cheese. There's some cheese moments, big time. But remember, it was 1971. Yeah. Uh, and if you just take it. And it was his first attempt. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's well done, and, and you mentioned uh, Jessica Walter. Uh, it's worth noting that at the end, spoiler alert, when she's floating in the in the water, that was actually her. They did not oh. use yeah, they did not use a double. She was actually uh, doing it. But yeah, Arrested Development now. She's oh awesome. yeah, well and um, uh, Archer. She's the mom in yeah, Archer, she's the too. Voice she's in the Archer. voice in yeah. Archer. Hilarious. She's just, that's the thing. She's, she's so funny. She's so funny, but she's yeah. not funny in this. No. No. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, and it's funny when she calls him, uh, oh, when he tries to you know, tell her that, no, there's nothing happening here. She calls him, Billy, you're not going to break up with me, Billy Blue Eyes, or something like that. <laughs> Buster Blue Eyes, or something like that. Hilarious. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's not to say that it's a funny movie. It's not. Yeah, it's very, very tense and, and, and creepy. And and horrific for the for the DJ in question, which is Clint. So number one in our DJ list, play Misty for me from nineteen seventy one. So that leads us into the next Fright Club Live, which is coming up here in just a few days. We are going to be back uh, at our home, the Gateway Film Center, right there on High Street, uh, OSU campus in Columbus, and we are going to be. Sending out our Christmas wishes. That's right. It's inside, everybody. It's our favorite Christmas movie. Well, it's my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. You, you like Die Hard. I still go for Die Hard. <laughs> but uh, it's it's so perfect. We, we can tell already there's a, there's a lot of buzz. People are so uh, psyched to see this on the big screen, people that have seen it. And if they haven't seen it, they've probably heard a lot about it. Well, if they listen to this podcast, they have. Do you think? Yeah. So it's going to be great. This Wednesday, December the 9th, we're going to record... Our next podcast, as we talk about Christmas horror. Yeah, live, live at the theater. Uh, and actually, we just talked about one, so who knows? Maybe that'll make the uh, number five from, from this list. Could you never be. know. We'll have to make our list and check it twice. No. Thank you. So uh, come on out, though, and help us count down the five best Christmas horror movies. There's a ton. Yeah, there is uh, a ton. Gonna, we're going to disappoint some people. There's going to be movies that get left off of here because there are so many options. Yeah, and we're going to have prizes uh, as we uh, count them down and get your audience participation, which we love. And, and actually, we're going to ask you to help us because a couple of weeks out, obviously, at the end of this year, our last, our last podcast of this year, we're going to count down the best horror films from 2015. So if you come out... 
keep that in mind. Yeah. You know, we want to, we want to, you know, remind us. Yeah. And you know what? If you don't come out, tweet it to us. Tell us what do you think are Please the best, do. the best horror films of 2015. Yeah. That is uh, Mad Wolf at Mad Wolf on Twitter. M A D D W O L F. Uh, tweet, tweet at us. But we'd love to see you this coming Wednesday. And uh, it starts, we always start six o'clock, the little bar off to the side there called the Torpedo Room. We do a little happy hour. We do. Uh, get some, uh, get some drinks and maybe a soft pretzel. Order them early. Uh, <laughs> and then we head in uh, for the recording of the podcast. Have a lot of fun. Count them down. And then we're going to see inside. And we will be ready for Christmas. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, then we're looking forward to the best of 2015 countdown and on into a brand new year. So it's a fun time. We hope you come out. The top five DJ horror stories. If there's any that you missed, if you want to yell at us for Lords of Salem, that is Fine. Yeah. We know there's we some fans it. out there, so so hit us up as always the many ways you can. We're uh madwolf.com at Madwolf Columbus uh on um Facebook and on uh, Instagram now. I keep forgetting. That's right. We're on Instagram at Madwolf Columbus because our identity was stolen, uh, but we're not bitter. We will not go down <laughs> that road again. But uh, so, uh, you know, if you want to read a full review of a Christmas horror story, because it did come out this year, our friend, our senior Brit correspondent, uh Craig Hunter, you can find that on uh, ScreenRelish.com, where we both participate. You can find my review of The Revenant. Not a horror movie, but oh. often horrific. Best bear scene, maybe, ever. Love The go Revenant. Go see it. Go see The Revenant. Seriously, go yeah, see it. You can find uh, Hope's review on ScreenRelish, and uh, we write reviews for that to us on a regular basis. All right, so we look forward to our Fright Club Live and all the what's to come for the rest of this year and into next. And until then... I'm Hope Madden. And I am George Wolf, and this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Stay frightful, my friends, here on a Tuesday afternoon. Nice. <laughs>